1: The premier podcast for all things Penn State football.
0: Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect
1: of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown. Brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Bob Flounders and David Jones.
0: Penn State fans, blue white breakdown time. And it's a blue it's a special one. Blue white breakdowns. It's almost gonna be all about men's basketball after what happened on Tuesday night. Mr. Pickett, I'm just gonna call him Mr. Pickett now. Had a game for the ages. Dave, I know you just wrote about it. Uh incredible performance, 41 points, eight assists. Jordan center record. He did it all. They needed it against a really good team. Snap him out of its funk. But what a what an incredible performance by an incredible player.
1: Now Dick Girardi, who does many people know, used to work for the Philadelphia Daily News and does the uh the color analysis for the radio broadcast with Steve Jones texted me right after the game was over and said, 18 years doing this, have never seen anything like it. And I'll go in one better. I've been been covering this team for 32 years and there's nothing close to it. There's nothing even remotely close to it. I've seen everything Taylor Battle did, everything Joe Crispin did, I think he's the best point guard, not only in the Big Ten, but in the country. I mean, he is All-America level. He won't get that kind of credit because Seth Greenberg needs to talk about, you know, how, whether North Carolina and Kentucky are going to make the tournament. So he probably doesn't even know he exists. Interestingly, though, the, the game was on ESPN, and usually Big Ten games are on Fox, or Fox affiliates, of which Big Ten Network is one. This was on ESPN with uh, Jess Settles doing a, a very good job on color commentary. I mean, Jess Settles has seen it all in the Big Ten, and he said he's never seen anything like it. And Jess Settles goes back to the 90s, man, and he said he'd never seen anything like it from a Big Ten player. Uh, that's how good it was. And it was, it was 41 points. You know, usually when you see a 41-point score. Be it college basketball or the NBA, the teammates are kind of feeding them. Uh, everyone wants to see him hit 40 or hit some threshold. It's usually a Kobe Bryant like kind of game, a, a volume scorer.
0: Luca, my man, Luca.
1: Yeah, yeah, trying to, trying to hit a threshold, be it 40 or 50 or 60, and they're force-feeding him the ball, and the guy will end up like 18 of 42 or something. (laughs) This was 15 of 20. 15 of 20, and at one point he was 14 of 16. He didn't force anything. Uh, He forced one shot when the game was already out of reach and the shot clock was ticking down. He had to shoot it, and he shot a brick three like in the last two minutes. But it was a blowout. It was a 17-point difference with a minute and a half to go. And Illinois is a very good team, but a really good defensive team. They are the best defense against two-point goals in the league, uh, fourth best in the nation. This is a long, athletic, elite defensive team. They put everybody on him. They put their point guard apps on him. They put Coleman Hawkins, one of the best defenders in the country, a 6'10 winger on him. They put Matthew Mayer, a 6'9 string bean on him. I counted seven different guys who switched off on him or got him independently, and nobody could stop him. It was a remarkable, remarkable performance, and yet he was throwing dimes all the time. And there was a play with like a minute 40 to go. The outcome is decided. He's got the ball on the paint against the backing up defense. He's got an open 15-footer. Who would not take that who was having a night like this? I know
0: you would, but yeah.
1: Yeah, I certainly would. He pitches it to Kanye Clary, young freshman guard for a three, who hits the three. Who I believe that gave him 93 points. I mean, that was the kind of night it was. I've never seen anything like it, certainly, regarding Penn State basketball in very, very few games in college basketball. It was, it was special stuff
0: almost almost as good as Jimmy Chitwood at Hoosiers but let's not compare because that was a special time but anyway Dave you're right i mean you got to give the guy credit it's just uh and for Dick, for somebody like Dick Girardi to kind of talk about it in that in that highly of a regard really tells you just how special of a season he's had how would you how would you compare him for like the average fan as like a what what is his future Dave i i know what what do you see from him uh, as far as
1: beyond college? I don't know because he's 6'2". He's not ho- terribly quick. Usually you, you need a point guard to be very, very quick and and be able to hit the three. He does neither one of those things at an, an elite level. He's a throwback. I compare him all the time to Earl Monroe and he doesn't know who Earl Monroe is. He's a He's a beautiful kid and he has no idea who Earl Monroe is. But he has that kind of swivel dribble where he, he starts doing the okey-doke and the paint, and he can back anybody into the paint and go over the top of them. I mean, the only guy who's really given him trouble, there, there have been two guys who've given him trouble this year, is A.J. Hoggard from Michigan State and Caleb McConnell from Rutgers, uh, but they didn't stop him. I mean, they just kind of contained him. He he bases everything off that swivel hip kind of stuff in in the lane, and he's so attentive. He's got like he's got like a spider head with like twelve eyes all over his head. He sees everything. He's so shrewd in the way he pitches and hits guys right in their shooting pocket. If you if you've played basketball and you know as a shooter, he not only throws great passes. He throws them exactly where the shooter needs,
0: them. like hitting a receiver in stride in football. Almost. Yeah,
1: I mean, I mean, like how how precise Joe Montana was throwing a football. Not only that, they really needed this game. They were on a four game losing streak. They were five and nine in the Big Ten. Their 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 NCAA hopes are on life support, but not dead. They are now fifteen and 11, 6 and nine in the league. And they have a manageable schedule coming up. They're at Minnesota, which is the worst team in the league. They haven't gotten any road wins to speak of ag- except against Illinois. They've now swept Illinois and, and, and done it by double digits in both games. That shows what they're capable of doing. And yet they were swept by a crappy Wisconsin team, a turgid, horrible Wisconsin team, You know, one of the worst Wisconsin teams in decades. And they can't beat this team because they, they turn it into a wrestling match and and they're allowed to. Um, so they can beat anyone except for Purdue, and, and they can lose to anyone. But right now they've got a bunch of games where they can make some hay. And if they win four out of five, uh, you're talking about at Minnesota, at Ohio State, Rutgers, who is struggling now because uh, Mawat Mag, their big uh, – defender is out with an ACL and he's gone and they've lost 3 in a row so they're spiraling. They're beatable at home in the Jordan Center. And the other game is Maryland at home. You know, that that's a winnable game. They're 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 not a particularly smart team. They're probably a little better than Penn State, but not prohibitively better. And finally they've got at Northwestern, which is right now unbelievably the second best team in the Big Ten, who plays really good defense and just beat Purdue, athletically they're not a mismatch for Penn State. So all of those games are winnable. If they win four out of five, they're ten and ten in the league. Going to Chicago, they got a real shot, but they have to win four or five, right?
0: There. Yeah, given given the the wins over Illinois, the fact that they gave Purdue a, a hell of a game, I think at the Palestra, um, is it hard for you to wrap your head around the fact that they haven't been able to win back to back games in the conference?
1: No, because they have such little post defense that is their achilles uh Keba Jai, their freshman six nine uh center just isn't ready, and I don't know if he ever will be He's a little soft, a little unsure of himself I mean he has to to double pump on dunks and <laughs> you know just just on missed dunks alone, if Pickett had those, he'd probably go up a notch and assist by one from from all those all season he the main thing they wanted out of him was post defense interior defense, so if somebody gets around a corner and beats their man you got you got a goalie back there. Well, he hasn't done that either. They just have no defensive presence on the interior at all, and it kills them. They're not a very good defensive team um, so they've had to do it with small lineups and Micah Shrewsbury has kind of patched this team together with both the oldest and the smallest lineup in the Big Ten, oldest in college basketball. They average four complete years of experience on their roster. You're talking about 363 Division I teams. They are the oldest across the roster in college basketball. So it'll be a total rebuild next year. They've got all these transfers and guys who are, are seniors. And it's a, it's a funny, quirky team. But when they play together and they're hitting shots – it's beautiful basketball. It looks like the Warriors. And it just settles said that last night. It looks like the Golden State Warriors when they're when they're whipping the ball around and hitting shots because they can really shoot it from the perimeter. Their problems are all at the other end.
0: Dave, one more for me on Pickett. What's what is his personality like? What's he like? What What's I mean, you've talked to a lot of Penn State. He's kids. He's a of-
1: delightful kid. I mean, sunny personality. Uh, inclusive. Everybody up there loves him. His teammates love him because he's not a selfish player. I'll give you an example. As, as, sometimes on certain teams in certain situations, you need a guy who looks for his shot. Joe Crispin was never shy about looking, his sh- looking for his shot. Joe Crispin was a, a guy who was going to, you know, if they were down six or eight points, he was going to go hunting for three pointers. The same thing with Taylor Battle and Taylor Battle Played some games where he was shut down completely, and he didn't have a lot else to offer. Uh, He's now a coach at Northwestern who's who's doing a tremendous job with his half-brother, Boo Booey, who's had the best season of his life. Uh, So Taylor's doing great there. But this guy is different in that he's always looking When he's looking that way, you know he's seeing this way. When he's looking this way, you know he's seeing that way. He sees everything on the floor, and boom, the past He's the kind of guy that if you play basketball, you don't want to disappoint him. He's the kind of guy you love to have on your team, and when you get an an open shot that he gives you, you don't want to disappoint him. You play better because of how inclusive he is. That's the kind of kid he is. He's he's just a delightful, sunny personality, and you know everyone wants to. Everyone was really happy for him. But his previous high this season was twenty six. He's not a volume scorer. Averages going in last night, he was. He's been hovering around seventeen points, seven assists, and seven boards a game. Uh, Nobody else in the Big Ten, no one else in college basketball, averages that. So he's really an All America candidate, and he he's a he's a great kid, a terrific kid.
0: Dave, one more time. What do you think might be Penn State's magic number to have have a shot at at uh, at the dance again?
1: They're six and nine now in the Big Ten. I think they've got to win four out of five here down the stretch and one in Chicago, which would make them eleven and eleven in Big Ten play. And right now they're fifteen and eleven. The the main thing about the committee is if you lose more than like thirteen games, you're really pushing it. So they really don't have much of a margin for error. Uh, I, the, the 2011 team, which I referenced, they were at one point 12-11, and 5-7 in the league with the Taylor battle team. And they took off when their freshman point guard, a kid named Tim Frazier, who has spent a lot of time in the NBA, who is a lot like Kanye Clary, the light kind of came on for him. He got a lot more playing time early in the season than Clary has. But you could see the light come on for him and the game kind of slow down in February. And it's the same thing that's happening with Kanye Clary. He's scored 29 points in the last two games in the loss at Maryland and this game last night. 17 and 12 after scoring a combined 14 points in all of Penn State's previous Big Ten games. So he's he's now a part of the regular rotation. Got 22 minutes last night. And you can see the game slowing down for him. And he was a problem last night for Illinois. Driving to the rim, creating havoc in the defense. And while they're not going to have a good post defender, uh, an interior defender, they do now have kind of a Robin to Pickett's Batman uh, on the perimeter so he can play off the ball more. And that makes Pickett even more dangerous. I mean, he's shown last night that he can hit the three at five and nine from three-point range. Uh, if Clary can keep doing that, keep penetrating and causing trouble without losing the ball, without being reckless, and he didn't do that last night, uh, they got prospects. They can they can win four of these games, uh, whether they will. And uh, they haven't won on the road. That's their problem. They're one and seven on the road. You cannot go to the committee with one or two road wins and expect to get in the tournament. That's, they kill you for that. And that should be part of the, of the parameters of who makes the tournament. So, they gotta they certainly have to win at Minnesota on Saturday night. It's a bad team. They can't lose the, they lose that game, it's over. They really need to win at Northwestern. Uh they need to win all their th- all three road games, I think, and then maybe split at home, beat Rutgers, lose to Maryland, beat Maryland, lose to Rutgers. That's that's what I think the the recipe is.
0: Tough road ahead, but maybe uh, maybe if the uh if Batman and Robin get it going, anything's possible. It's it, You know, you just you can't count it. With, with, a guy, with a guy like Pickett on your team, I don't think you can count him out.
1: And it's such a fun team to watch when they get it going. I mean, they the funny part about them is they've destroyed Illinois twice. These were routes. They were <laughs> up 17, 18 points in both of those games at the end. It got closer at the end, but it wasn't really. They won by 15 in Champaign. I think they were leading by 20. They were leading this game by 17 with two minutes to go. They they've destroyed Indiana at home, which is is certainly an NCA team contending for second or third in the Big Ten. Um, they have destroyed. I mean, they've destroyed Iowa in the first half, and they, they ended beat up, up Michigan 94. pretty good. They beat up Michigan by 22. This is a team where if it, they get it going, they're so much fun to watch. And they can beat just about anyone except for a really big team, uh, which Purdue is and Rutgers was until they, they lost Mag, who is a big, big part of their team. They can beat Rutgers now. I don't know if they could have beaten them with Mag, but they can, they can win that game now.
0: This is the Blue White Breakdown. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Everyone's journey is different. And we are honored to guide you to the best relationship with this incredible plant. Have questions? Google Leaf PA or stop by one of our 18 locations across the Commonwealth. Let's circle back to Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, I know you wrote a column about that game as well. One of the best Super Bowls, I think, that's ever been played. Very competitive game, fascinating. Who did
1: you pick? I never talked to you about who you picked. I,
0: I actually thought the Eagles were going to win by ten. I really did. I, I, I in, in full candor, I thought I, I did not see their defense literally not being powerless against uh, Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. But that that proved to be the case, and you just combine that with the defensive touchdown that the Eagles gave them. It was going to be it was always going to be tough.
1: Did you see any of the video of Redick and the pass rushers slipping on that field? Yeah, I think that was a factor, man. I think that field was a factor for all of the edge rushers and they just weren't getting you. If you're an edge rusher, you need leverage and you need stick with your cleats. Or, or you've, especially if you're a smaller guy going up against a huge tackle, which is what it always is with speed rushers, and I think that had something to do with it. Can, can you believe that field? If you get a field like that in the biggest game in football, how can that happen?
0: I know. The problem with that is once once it becomes evidence, there's there's no quick fix. It's just going to get worse as the game goes on. I was also really surprised, uh, I mean, J- Jalen Hurts really played great, but the way that the chiefs could run the ball and the eagles could not other than you know hurts being being hurts but for miles sanders and gainwell just really to not be factors at all i just i just thought the eagles balance was going to be was going to carry them and actually the chiefs were really the more balanced team the eagles had more yards they were better on third down but their defense didn't make any plays and you know that that turnover was really unfortunate. That because uh, I mean they would, they, I mean the Chiefs would have been down I think seventeen and a half if they don't return that. Uh, they don't return that fumble, but they played better. They played better in the second half.
1: They just didn't get the ball in the first half. Yeah, once you give Mahomes the ball, he's going to do something. So when, before the game, I didn't I didn't make like a big deal over my pick, but John Affleck, uh, or a friend from Penn State Journalism School who used to work in, in AP in, in New York. He texted me before the game. I think he was there. Uh, He might have been there with a Penn State group. I'm not sure. And um, he asked me what I thought, and I said, well, you know what? I love a certain kid who I think is going to run really hard in this game named Isaiah Pacheco because he played for Rutgers.
0: There it is. I
1: I always loved that kid. I didn't envision that, but he he, um, played so hard. He ran so hard, tough yards. And then uh, the other thing I said was, you know, can't, doesn't the combination of Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, not only their expertise, but having already been in this game, doesn't that count for something compared to, to Hertz and Sirianni? And I think it did. I mean, especially the, the Reid and and um, the, the the offensive adjustments at halftime going up, up against the uh, the Eagles' young coordinator who all of a sudden has a head coaching job, which is funny. And Eric Bieniemy does not yet, correct? And the Eagles' OC does? That that smells fishy to me. I'm sorry. And Bieniemy was right in the middle of all the adjustments. You know, how does that happen? I don't get it.
0: I also think uh, before this year, really, Patrick Mahomes, just an incredible talent. But, I mean, his toughness, I think, not only in this game, but throughout this postseason playing on a clearly – on a bad wheel, I think you have to give him a lot of credit because he made some plays with his legs there in the second half.
1: That 26-yard scramble is going to go down in Super Bowl lore, man, with that ankle, with that right ankle. What did that remind you of? I, I immediately thought of John Elway at the end of the Super Bowl 25 years ago where that, that run hell-bent to the goal line and he helicoptered it right before the goal line. It was that kind of moment where it's, it's not just the yardage, it's the inspiration. It it was something and he's he's gonna be around forever. Mahomes, he he makes plays that you say you you know, he's pulling them out of his ass, but he keeps making them, man. He's just that kind of a magnetic personality where Jalen Hurts is more of a tough guy. Uh I just worry that Jalen Hurts is gonna get injured in a way that that is gonna wreck his career if they keep running him so much as they do. They've got some question marks of guys coming back and is Lane Johnson healthy? And I don't know. I mean, their, their offensive line was hold
0: on to the defensive line. I think, I think Miles Sanders might've played his last game for the Eagles. I just think that they can replace him with those two first round picks, how he can do a lot of different stuff. And they like gain well. And I mean, I think he had seven carries for 16 yards and it was just, he's a very talented back, but I just think that Maybe he, I think that he might be easier to replace than some other players, and they probably have some other priorities.
1: Kenneth Gainwell, who had a big game against Penn State in the Cotton Bowl with Memphis, if you remember, uh, three years ago, uh, may be the archetype of backs going forward in the, the little slithery Pacheco guys, smaller but quicker, quicker to the hole as long as they last. I mean, they're, guys like that get well, hurt. You, too. you
0: run them less, you feature them in the passing game. And the touches instead of 22 uh, runs, it's like 11, it's 11 carries and five catches. And it's, it doesn't beat them up as much. You're right. So, yeah, I think the Eagles, I think the Eagles fan base has a lot to look forward to. Um, and I'm curious to see what they do this off season, but it's to, to lose a game like that. You know what they want? They want a game like that, you know, against the Patriots, but uh You know, there was there wasn't much defense in that game either. But to lose a game like that, you know, it's it's just you just went up against a quarterback that was hotter and a coach that had a great game plan in the second half.
1: Did you think it was over at halftime?
0: I did. I really did. I, I just I thought. I just thought. You know what? I thought. Well, you, you see, Mahomes grabbing his ankle and limping off the field. Yeah, and yeah. You, see, you know, I think. I think the Eagles had the ball a ton in the first half. I thought they were going to wear their wear their butts out, and I thought it was just going to get to be a lot.
1: A lot of people. A lot of people did, including one Mike Misinelli, <laughs> who I saw tweeting at halftime. Rest easy, Eagles. Rest easy, Eagles fans. <laughs> Have a martini and and uh, by the by the middle of the fourth quarter, all of his followers are starting to call him Mikey Mush <laughs> and, <laughs> instead of Mikey Miss. Who was the guy in Goodfellas? They called the Mush or no, it was uh, The Mush, yeah, yeah. The yeah. Mush. No, that wasn't the that was it was that was uh it was uh Bronx Tail. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Mush.
0: Hey, uh, one more Penn State note. Uh you I think you wrote about it. That punt return by Kadarius Tony. Uh, Jordan Norwood had the Super Bowl record before that.
1: No kidding.
0: Yeah, the year that the Broncos beat the Panthers, he had a super long punt return. It was like, that game was not a good game to watch. It was the, I think Juan Miller got the MVP. It was like 20 to 10 or something like that. But Jordan Norwood had the longest punt return up until Kideri Did you summer. know
1: until they said it, until, until Kevin Burkhardt said it, there'd never been a punt return for a touchdown in the Super Bowl? I didn't.
0: Yeah, I mean that that is, it is considering that there's been 57 of them. Yeah, um, that is stunning. But the I mean, the way that they the way that they punt now, I think that was a that the guy who kicked that ball it was he botched that punt. I think Tony even said it. It's almost set up for them not to
1: return it for touchdown. Well, now, yeah, I'd say in the last in the last 10 years, I'd say sure, I'd believe that. But in 57 of them, I mean, you're going back through. Uh, how many great punt returners back in the past? Uh, and uh, yeah. that's remarkable. Hell, there may never be one because of the way punting punting's gotten now and how paranoid every, everyone is about returning punts. It might never happen.
0: All right. Well, Devo, I think we're running out of time here on the Blue-White Breakdown. Thanks so much for the analysis on, uh, on Mr. Pickett. He was incredible. Hopefully they can get hot. They're running out of time, but they certainly – Still have they still got a shot? Um, you're saying there's a chance, then that's good
1: enough for me. They're only mostly dead. <laughs> what do you do if they're completely dead? All you can do is go through their pockets and look look for loose change. <laughs> All right,
0: All right David. Until we meet again, that's it for this Blue White breakdown. We'll talk to you guys next week. This has been the Blue White breakdown, brought to you
1: by Pen Live.